0: Listening to season three of Music Trails, a podcast dedicated to independent music artists, their music, stories, and the people behind the scenes that support them. I chose the name Music Trails because just like no two walking, hiking, or biking trails are alike, the same holds true when it comes to the trails and journeys of our guests. If you love music, Enjoy being introduced to new artists that you might not otherwise know about and enjoy learning about the independent music business. This podcast may be for you. I'm your host, Mark Lafon. Meet the Grammy Award winning progressive bluegrass band, Infamous String Dusters. Two of the founding members, Andy Hall and Chris Panda Pandolfi, Talk about the release of their upcoming and 13th album, a tribute to Flat and Scruggs, as well as their Grammy-nominated 2022 album, Into the Fray. We discuss a lot of things, including the advantages of owning their own Americana Vibes label, and what makes a great cover song. I hope you enjoy.
1: face again I've been up and down this highway just looking for a friend Oh Colorado No matter how long I'm gone you look the same It's so damn good to know there's something time can't change Oh Colorado I'm lost and I lose touch You're the only thing I'm dreaming of mm-hmm. I want to get my high, touch the sky Get lost in mountain time I got a gypsy so but you're always there to take me back in. Whoa, oh, Colorado.
0: That music trail, listeners, was hey, the, the music girl, of the infamous string dusters. I'm excited to introduce you to two of the founding members, Andy Hall and Chris Pandolfi. Morning, gentlemen.
2: Morning. Morning. Mark. Thanks for having us.
0: You bet. Thanks for being here. Yeah, for you're. Sure. Uh, at, at home taking a little break uh before you hit the road right if we're home it's a break before we hit the road yep <laughs> okay <laughs> that's it i understand i understand I, I would think the time at home is pretty precious
2: it is you know we've our schedule has evolved over the years and we've had some years where we've done seems like a million shows and now the schedule's a a little bit more manageable which allows us to have some time at home to have a life work on other things and i think we all value that pretty highly
0: sure so i want to talk a little bit uh, about your new album that's uh, coming out this what the next week or a week or two the uh, tribute to flatten scrugs yeah yeah
3: we're excited about that it's uh you know a project that uh you know, reflects music that we've been playing for our entire, you know, career in some way, shape or form, you know, if if whether it's playing those songs live or just jamming them backstage or at, at a jam or whatever, you know, songs that have been in our uh, sort of sphere of, you know, our tune list of some type forever. So uh, it's fun to finally get to, yeah, put those down, uh, sort of put our stamp on these flat and scrugs, uh, classics, you know?
0: Sure. And you did something similar just a couple of years ago, uh, the tribute to Bill Monroe as well.
2: Yeah, we, we did a tribute to Bill Monroe. We sort of decided that we wanted to do this series of tributes to the forefathers of bluegrass because they've been, so influential on us as a band that's our common thread even though the string dusters have a lot of very eclectic influences bluegrass is undeniably our common thread but also on countless other musicians who play bluegrass and other styles and it's interesting to note that the context of all this has really changed since we started as a band at that time 16 17 years ago bluegrass the music was always cool and will always be cool but as a sort of marketing term looking to that old school bluegrass was not necessarily the hippest thing and it's incredible to behold what's changed and evolved in the time that we've been a band now bluegrass is cooler than ever so i don't know if we'd have done these projects early on but it's a a real honor to to do them now and hopefully to point some people back to this amazing music and these amazing artists and innovators that started it
3: all.
0: Yeah, I, I would like to think that what you're doing with these uh, recordings is introducing your audience who, like you say, many of which maybe aren't that familiar with some of the, 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 the older classic uh, recording artists. And it's given them an avenue to reconnect and listen to some of the old songs by the legends.
3: Yeah. You know, one of the things I love about these that we've done two of these tribute uh, albums now is that we're not trying to recreate the original sound, which is a lot of times what you get with sometimes with the tribute to some of the forefathers. And that's awesome. Um, But, you know, there's people that can do that way better than we can. Uh, You know, and I feel like I don't want to speak for everybody in the band, but I know for me, Uh, when, you know, I've learned a a lot of that music that flattened Scruggs and Monroe for many years, but I never tried to, you know, I learned it and I took what I kind of wanted from it or what I, what (laughs) moved me from it and just kind of infused it into my playing. Um, but didn't try to, yeah, like totally emulate. I might've even learned like Josh Graves solos and stuff, but when it comes time to play those songs or record them, I don't try to play those breaks. I just sort of, you just, and I think as a band, we're probably a lot alike in that way where we, we, we kind of take, you know, a lot of these things as an influence, but don't try and necessarily recreate it. So that's what I like about these projects is it's, it's, I don't know. I think it's a rare, actually it's rare to have a tribute album like that, not try to be just like the original, not try and recreate all the way they played, but take those songs and the general vibe and sound and you know, filter it through the string dusters thing, you know, like on the Monroe thing, and I, I kind of love this because I'm a bit, I don't know, rebellious or something there's a mandolin on the cover of our album, and we don't even have a mandolin I mean, it's a Bill Monroe tribute <laughs> without a mandolin, and yeah. something about that is really cool, so that that sort of um, it's like you know, we have our sort of string duster irreverence while paying reverence to these uh these founding fathers, and I love that dichotomy Sure
0: In uh, 2022, you released a Grammy-nominated Toward the Free album. And uh, is it fair to call that a concept album?
2: I think we could call that a concept album in ways probably similar to the concept that guided a lot of albums during that time. It was a time of, well, for one thing, obviously, artists being home from the road and having a chance to perhaps contemplate what's going on out there in the world a little more deeply than you do under normal circumstances when you're just kind of like on this hamster wheel and it feels like you're always on tour and trying to grow this thing well now you know everything was on pause and the writing wasn't necessarily all undertaken after the pandemic started but a lot of those themes had already been percolating and so they came to the surface in the writing and there was definitely a a common thread there in terms of the material and the message. So I don't know. Concept album is a a tricky term. I think that means different things to different people. But if there is a concept in there, I think it relates to the subject matter. And I think that was something that we were all feeling pretty strongly.
0: It was definitely it's um, definitely has a social consciousness to it. The, The songs that that were selected and as you said it certainly reflected the time in which those songs were written
2: yeah it's so undeniable that these issues facing the world today there are too many of them to count are worth discussing need discussing and as your as your career unfolds as an artist i think you know early on it's very easy to be focused first and foremost on the art, the sound, and then you get a little older and maybe even more just as a human being than, than an artist, you feel some sort of responsibility or some sort of pull towards speaking about these things that are important and need that need to be spoken about. So even though it wasn't necessarily a big conscious choice that we got together on, it was something that happened very naturally. And I think, part of the album that we're all really proud of
0: yeah i I think uh part of that also comes with you know what you all have been together 16 years and uh with that you have uh certainly more confidence in yourselves and are more prone to want to do something like that than you were say you know 15 years ago when you were still cutting your eye teeth
3: yeah yeah i i think um I think you're more self-conscious when you're younger in your career and you're or you know at least maybe you know i was and and you're you know i think early on you know i know my own thinking is like i'm thinking about me and and my band and and us and whatever we do how does that reflect to me how does that affect us and and i think as you get a little older yeah you do sort of think about um others and you think about other issues and and you're worried a little bit less about what people might think and just like expressing yourself. I mean, the one thing I'm proud of with Toward the Fray, like, like Panna said, is just that we're, you know, we're just honestly expressing ourselves, And that's what music is. Whether you agree with it or not, it's just you're, you're feeling things, you're going through things, particularly during the pandemic with Toward the Fray. And that's all coming out in the music. And so it's that's, you know, I think that's the way it should be. I, I, I think if you're feeling something, you're thinking something and you need to express it musically and as a musician that's what we do that's that's what you should do you know and that's that's what's great about it that's what's cathartic about it that's what's fun about it uh as a human i'm better at expressing myself in music than i am in words sometimes and so that's you know that that, that's you know and as a band we did that collectively with that album and and i think yeah as you grow you're just i don't know I, you know, generally speaking, I play more now thinking of others than I do myself. Not that I'm not still in some way self-conscious and want to do my best and want people to like me and all that stuff. But you just, yeah, you. I think you get a broad, you know, you, you start to play music for some broader reasons, hopefully.
0: Several years ago, uh, you started your own label, the Americana Vibes label. Was that um, well? How can you? How did that um, come about? And how do you feel that has benefited uh, the band?
2: Well, it's been a really cool thing to see it unfold. We actually tried a sort of previous iteration of this, and and it, it wasn't a natural fit with the team we had and the way we wanted to allocate our time. And now we have some partners, particularly our management company regime who are really dialed in on this front. So it was it was a choice that made a lot of sense because of where we were at in our career. And that relates to, you know, what options are there out there to release music? And the whole game has changed now in the streaming era. And so that in conjunction, again, with these partners and their strengths, that's kind of what led us to take a bit of a leap of faith and jump in and do this thing. But it, it also is designed to capitalize on the fact that we've been doing this a long time and we've been around for a lot of changes in bluegrass and acoustic music. And we've been a part of that. We sort of walked the walk and got to meet so many other artists along the way and get so much experience in what this whole thing is about, you know, from an artist perspective, but also from a business perspective. And so, trying to put all those things together, use the platform that we've created, help elevate some younger artists and work as a collective, you know, to to kind of have this symbiotic thing where we all raise each other's profile um, along the way as we release new albums and and just try to get them out to the world. You know, there's a lot of great music out there. And so I think we're doing our part to try and get some airtime for that.
0: Sure. I would think that's got to be a lot of fun, um, you know, be able to do that.
3: Yeah, it's it's fun because you connect with other bands. It's, you know, it's sort of designed to be a bit of a landing place for acoustic, you know, bands and roots music. And, uh, you know, whether you end up, you know, releasing an album by a band or not, a lot of times you're reaching out or they're reaching out to you and you're making connections and you're, you know, if you see one of those bands on the road, you you have them up to jam with you at a show or whatever. So it, it, it it's a catalyst for collaboration and and a community, you know, ho- hopefully that's that's the idealistic goal of of Americana Vibes is to be a bit of a, a community and a, you know, a framework for acoustic music to have that That place to kind of come together and and yeah it just it's fun because it's also fun to control your own destiny with your recordings you know in a way too it's and there's great labels out there that you can collaborate with but there's you know like panda said when you've been doing it a long time you know what you want you know what you need and you if you have the right partner that that was sort of key with this operation was having the right partner then yeah you you want to control your own destiny as an artist that extends into your business you know And nowadays it's, it's very doable. Again, if you have the right people you can collaborate with. So yeah, Yeah. it's, it is fun. It's fun to control, like I say, can sort of control your own destiny with your recordings and with all these, like all these releases, Monroe, Flat, and Scruggs. We just recorded an album of, of, of cover music. We've got our own, you know, we can just do all that and, and they facilitate it. It's awesome.
0: What's the significance of your name? How did the, the name come about to the band?
2: The infamous String Dusters. You know who, cre- who came up with that was Ben Eldridge, legendary banjo player for the Seldom Seen. Ben was the one who came up with String Dusters. It was really early in our career. We cycled through some really bad names, <laughs> and we signed a record deal with Sugar Hill that required us to have a trademark on the name. And so at that time, I believe we were wheelhouse and we had played a few shows at the station Inn. and Ben suggested string dusters, which stuck. And then (laughs) the infamous part was added when we went for the trademark and there already was a string dusters, but I have in my memorabilia box of string dusters stuff from over the years, I have this hilarious list of names, prospective names <laughs> that we run back over every now and then. And ooh, there's some doozies out there. It's hard to pick a band name. It seems like they've all been taken.
3: Yeah. I mean, time. and that was almost 20 years ago. It's a lot harder <laughs> now even. So, I, <laughs> But uh, I think we even had, I think that we played a few shows as the American String Dusters.
1: Woo! <laughs> boy yeah the american
3: (laughs) i think we i i think and i'm quite sure we did one or two stations as the nashville string dusters
2: american string dusters i don't know how well that's aged i hate to say it but infamous infamous is cool actually i think it is cool andy came up with infamous and um and then you know we even had a whole list of like what that first word would be but we settled on infamous string dusters and it's it's cool it's it's stuck. And I feel like in a way it, it represents our music. So, you know, that's, that's kind of what you're going for.
0: So Andy, you and Panda, uh, with Chris Eldridge, former uh, band member, the three of you, if I understand correctly, met up in Boston while you're going to school at Berkeley
3: yeah yeah that was really the sort of the very beginning seed of of this band i had uh i had actually just left uh sorry let me just i had just left boston and moved to nashville to pursue my bluegrass dreams and uh and i left a band there called the bag boys b-a-g bag boys and um I left and and Chris joined that band when I left. He, in a sense, kind of took my spot on a different instrument. But but and so when I, I came back for a visit, maybe six months later and went to see the Bad Boys and Chris was playing with them and Chris Eldridge was in the audience and he was in town visiting somebody. And then, uh, yeah, another guy was there, this guy, um, Zach Hickman. And so after the show was over, I met Chris and I met Chris Eldridge And this guy, Zach Hickman. And uh, I got to give credit to Zach. He said, oh, we've got these cool little this pod of, you know, young, cool, progressive pickers here. Let's let's get together and try and do something if you've got a, you know, a day or two. And we were a lot more flexible back then. So we we went. Yeah, the four of us just having literally just met, decided we would get together the next day, try and rehearse and then the following day record. Just as a project with some new players, and so that's what we did. We went to, I think Hickman's house or something, right? His parents' house. On the oh,
2: we were in the Southern New Hampshire. He had some free studio. Oh right,
3: time. he had free studio time, and I think we went yeah. to maybe his parents' house, which was like on the coast of New England, very beautiful. Spent the whole day kind of rehearsing and then drinking, and <laughs> um, and then uh, and then we went into the studio and just like recorded like six songs. Uh, uh like a, a chris banjo original um a couple bluegrass songs like a, we did uh american girl a josh a josh ritter, ritter song. song yeah blue, blue jays. jays and so we recorded this thing and then you know took it home or whatever and and we all listened. we're like wow this is this is neat it's 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 bluegrassy it's progressive all the players have this totally unique sound and uh yeah, that was sort of the beginning of my relationship with, with Chris and Chris Eldridge. So, um, yeah, it kind of went from there, you know.
0: So when the the, the two of you were uh, younger and starting out in music, did you start off in rock bands and then kind of segue into different types of music? Or how or has bluegrass music kind of been in your blood for as long as you can remember? What's What's the story on that?
2: Well, Andy definitely has some some good like heavy metal context here. For me, I got my first banjo having no idea what bluegrass was, believe it or not. I was a Flectones fan. I was into John Schofield and fusion and jazz and a lot of instrumental music. And I got a banjo, and that is what led me back to bluegrass. And so once I got that instrument, I I, I remember I bought it at this used music store and some friends of mine who were in a rock band in high school had a recording session going on. And I went, I took it over and we just opened the case and we just looked at it because no one had any idea what to do with this thing. But little by little, I, I started to kind of chip away at it. And as you're trying to learn banjo, there's really only one place to look and that's bluegrass. And I started taking lessons with Tony Trishka and I was really mostly in interested in the real progressive side of things but little by little got more into the old school stuff and as i said earlier that's really our common thread as a band everyone has a really big appreciation for bluegrass and has also put in the time to learning traditional bluegrass which though some people may perceive it as simple i think is as good a music education as you could get sort of relating to what andy said about the and scrubs tribute we may not try and sound exactly like them but the lessons of the music that are contained in that stuff the rhythm the the drive and and the presentation the singing the the sort of force with which they play their instruments the tone like there's so many amazing little pieces of it that you can then go and and take and kind of make your own but for me that was the start of it was was really just progressive instrumental music and then ultimately that's what got me into the banjo and then that's what got me okay. into bluegrass
0: mr heavy metal you want to hear from me
1: <laughs> yes <laughs> i want to hear from well you.
3: that that yeah i grew up in, <laughs> up in upstate new york and um you know it's funny my dad's family's all from nashville and so as a kid i and my grandparents were into country music and they knew some some of these people like my, my grandfather was a house builder in nashville and he built houses and he he knew kind of a lot of people and including people like eddie arnold who's an old a famous sure. country musician and uh they were like friends with them and so i would growing up i would go visit my grandparents for two weeks in the summer and i would like meet eddie arnold they'd take me to the grand old yeah. opry and it was just this whole other world you know i grew up in upstate new york and then i would go to nashville and see this whole other world but growing up i you know i did not think country music was cool i definitely not you know i grew up in the 80s and i was listening to metal and so when i got my first guitar i was into rock and metal and and like pretty heavy stuff i i I was an angsty teenager and i liked the power and heaviness of that like heavy metal just getting that energy out um but i was you know i was a guitar player and so i started to get into all guitar music whatever it was and i and i got heavy into blues music i started with like stevie ray vaughn like he had that it was almost like heavy metal yeah. blues it's just so powerful distortion just you know and so then that was kind of my gateway into blues and then i i i heard that same vibe that same sort of emotion i would listen to like old 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 blues you know like like lead belly and stuff like that and and I was like, oh, wow, this is like, this has that same, whatever, that same, I don't know, like uh, angsty, painful kind of energy to it of somebody expressing themselves. And then uh, my uncle got me a Bill Monroe box set. And I was like, oh, my gosh, there it is. It's acoustic heavy metal, <laughs> fast, aggressive, solos, virtuosity, all that stuff. And and I just got way into that. Um and so it was kind of like it I to me bluegrass and heavy metal have a, a feeling in common um and I still feel that way but you know I I still listen to some heavy metal but you know I've always been in, uh, like kind of everything um I switched to dobro when I was probably about 19 or 20 years old I was going to Berkeley College of Music and you know, there's a few reasons. I I had a hand injury that made it hard to play. There was also 900 guitar players at hmm. Berkeley, and I was trying to you know keep my head above water with these virtuosos from all sure. over the world, literally. And then I and I sort of fell in love with the sound of the slide guitar, and and really kind of the universe just thrust me that direction.
0: Bluegrass relies uh, heavily on soloing uh, between verses and in some ways i think that's what kind of gives bands like yourselves your sound in some ways so when you when you take that into consideration or you think about just general instrumentation to a song what is the the process that goes on in determining how that all comes together you know like the the order of soloing or if a song's going to be Heavier with a fiddle or heavier with a banjo. How does that happen?
2: Well, that's, you know, that's like at the heart of what you do as an artist. And, you know, in a literal sense, we get together to do pre production for an album. And that's when we learn each other's songs. That's when we take this additional step of arranging songs for the string dusters, which to me is. And I think to all of us is just as important as the writing the writing is the seed of the song, the arranging the pre-production. That's the time when you take it and it becomes a quintessentially string duster song. That's when you figure out how to use these five voices and our voices on our instruments to bring this music to life. And that's when we are all sort of wearing our producer hat and using all the experience that we've accrued over our many years playing arranging you know some of us you know i I do a fair amount of producing myself everybody is a producer in the band you know we're all always producing our own sound and at that time we come together and we bring those different elements together to bring the song to life in whatever we think the most musical way is and there's a lot of experimentation that goes down and i would say on some of the more traditional bluegrass stuff you're going to have kind of a more formulaic thing where there's a kickoff and then there are different solos but when you listen to our string duster stuff there definitely are deeper layers to it where we are playing written melodies together and these melodies move into other sections with sort of deliberate transitional pieces and and that again is is an extension of the writing process but that's when you really are crafting forging your sound everyone always asks us oh when do you guys rehearse because we all live in different places now well you know we don't rehearse the stuff that we've played a lot though we do brush up you know on the night of a show if we're dusting something off that we haven't played a lot but it's when we do those pre-production sessions that we're really crafting our sound and moving our sound forward taking all the tools that we have amongst us and putting them to work to create the most compelling music so it's a more involved process for some songs than others. I mean, we'll throw together, we'll throw bluegrass stuff into the set that we sometimes have never even ever played as a band or maybe at a jam session or whatever. And you just kind of got to be in heads up mode to see who's going to solo next. And that's a cool part of the whole thing too, you know, that, that we can plug in these more traditional pieces of the lexicon without having to think so hard about them. You know, that's, part of what makes bluegrass so cool. So we draw on that side of things too, and we'll mix that up night to night. And then we'll go into our more arranged, more sort of like in-depth explorations of what these songs can be via our original material. And it's usually some mix of those two things. Yeah.
3: Uh, You know, one cool thing I like when we arrange songs or do our original records, or even with uh, cover songs or other things, whoever the singer is, whoever brings the song to the band, a lot of times it's sort of the de facto producer in a way. And, you know, cause they obviously had a vision with what the song they're bringing. So, and that works well in a five piece, like democratic band is that at least have somebody kind of, you're deferring to how did you imagine this you so you know we're all we all still it, it all goes through this string duster process as a group and the sounds we have and everyone has a say and but you know we whoever brings a song or wrote the song tends to have kind of a level of uh you know the sort of the producer's hat there and we can kind of you know they can kind of guide things along so in a five-piece band where everyone has a say and it's all equal it can be Sometimes a bit chaotic to, you know, trying to come to decisions, but we've, you know, we've, we've, we're good at it. It's that's how democracy is supposed to work. It can be a little messy. Sometimes it can take a little extra time, but it's hopefully the distillation of everyone's artistic vibe into one thing.
0: You know how much your, your fan base uh, loves to hear you guys play cover songs. And, um, I'm hoping that, that you enjoy playing cover songs as well. How does that come about? Um, are there just kind of songs in the back of your head or, um, you know, some obviously are going to uh, come about as maybe more obvious than, than others. How do you go about, or what's the characteristics maybe that makes for a good cover song for the string dusters to play?
2: I think the main criteria is just that someone likes the song and that's really the main thing. Of course, there's another layer of consideration around is this going to sound good performed on these instruments by us. And, you know, we can usually figure that out pretty quickly, but to go back to kind of the first part of your question, as I feel like, as I get older and more experienced as a musician, I I like to play any music, any, any piece of music offers a great chance to just be in the moment. And I'm actually a podcaster myself. Here's a little shameless plug for you. And I I did an interview recently on my podcast with Chris Wood of the Wood Brothers. And he talked about this amazing example uh, of an exercise that you can do that I've been trying these last few days. And And it basically boils down to, Play along with anything, a metronome, a a drum beat, a song on on Spotify. And what you're really trying to do is just listen to something in the music other than yourself, really pay attention deeply to the bass line. And I've noticed that it it opens this door to literally any piece of music that you play can be this cool experience of just being present in the moment and, and seeing what it offers to you. And that's the great thing about having a really diverse repertoire. And for us, that includes, includes playing a lot of covers is they all just offer us a chance to take things a different way. So some of, some of them kind of come along and die on the vine and others stick around as a really steady bedrock piece of our repertoire. But to me, you know, and Travis has a saying that he, I've heard him say it a lot of times over the years, you know, play me a cover so I can tell how good you are. You know, it really does serve a purpose in terms of opening the door for new fans to then get into your original stuff. Because when you play something that they know, well, there's a connection there and something happens that probably doesn't happen when they're hearing an original song for the first time. So they serve a cool purpose in that way too. And it just allows us to try a lot of, different things. We, we have this undercover series where we try a lot of different covers and a lot of those then make it into the set. And I, I discriminate less as time goes by. I, I really like playing almost anything because if you really are there in the moment with the music and you can sort of like, let your judgment aside, there's something cool in, in anything that you play. And, and I think, a you know, potentially a cool learning experience there too so so yeah we've you know we've tried a lot of stuff i'm sure we'll try more as the years go on but covers are a big part of of what we do and sure. they're a lot of fun to play
0: you're um going to be starting your tour schedule here best later this month and you're pretty much going to be booked up for the next six months uh pretty solid when you look at your tour schedule this year uh, i'm i'm assuming that last year kind of felt like you were getting back uh to normal as far as the amount of of touring and that would obviously play into to this year as well
3: uh yeah our uh this year's a little different for us i think that the pandemic has kind of you know threw everything into flux and i think had had everybody uh kind of reevaluating what uh what they're doing as far as touring and playing live. not not everybody, you know, but but I think a lot of bands, certainly bands like us that have been doing it a long time, it, it you know it there's a silver lining to all that sort of chaos and it was just to sort of reassess your priorities and and how you tour and yeah, what's important. And so um this year actually we're playing uh, a f- less shows than I think we've ever played in the touring history of the band. Um, it's still quite a bit you know but i mean we we've always been sort of constantly you know grinding and 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 we love playing live and we're a band that thrives i think musically on the road but um but this year we're sort of trying something a little different we're playing just a little bit less um doing a ton of festivals um and there will there's yeah there's going to be a lot of playing this year but um yeah we're just kind of like There's not just one way to do it, and after you've been a band eighteen years, like, well, let's let's try this this year. You know, you can like dedicate a whole year to sort of trying something different because you have a lifetime of of playing together, and you've done a lot. And you know, one thing for me that I like uh, is to at least just try to pretend like you're not fully engrossed in the rat race of touring because there is this rat race in a way, feeling sometimes to just. Constant touring, constant posting about how many people are at your show, constant like just who has the most people and who what's all this like you just trying to edge out whoever your competitors are. And the, this you you see it on social media and and, it, and it, it's it's great. I, I get it. I don't mind it. But, it, you know, in a way when you just constantly feel like you have to just keep up with playing and playing and playing, 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 playing live shows to just survive or whatever, it it can feel like a rat race. And I feel like the pandemic for me sort of put that into perspective a little bit like this is music, this is art, this is our lives. Let's let's do our best. I mean, you can't control everything, but let's do our best to craft a way of playing live that is holistic, to our brains and our souls and our bodies and, and our art. And uh, so, you know, we're experimenting with that a little bit this year and just seeing how it goes. But, um, but, you know, we thrive live. We're a live band. I mean, we do tons of recording, but sure. we love to play live. That's where everything comes to life for us. Um, So yeah, we love it. Uh, and I feel like we're better at it than we've ever been. I don't know what happened, but we're, <laughs> We, I feel like even if we don't play for like a few weeks and then we just go to a festival, boom. We, I feel like we're we're pretty much fully there. And in the past, I feel like maybe it would take some time, some shows to kind of get warmed up and stuff. And you still do to a degree, but uh, we we've got a great scene with our band playing live, and um, we love it.
0: Yeah, I read somewhere where um, somebody said that when you get in the studio or you're up on stage playing live, that you've, you have all reached a point in your musicianship and your career where each time you just try to dig down a little bit deeper, just try to get a little bit more each and every time. And um, I think that's, that's just incredible. And, and I think when bands do that type of thing, it definitely is appreciated and it comes across to the audience.
3: Yeah, it's like each show, if you do a few less shows, each show you do is so important. I feel like everyone really focuses and everyone really does whatever they need to do to get enough rest or whatever it is to make that show important. There's no there's no throwaway shows. Every single one is like, you got to be there and you got to focus. And, and I like that.
0: From a business perspective, if you consider you know, you all have different revenue, revenue streams, and one of them obviously is recording sales and streaming. And then another big one is is touring. Do you feel that one drives the other one?
2: Well, touring undeniably drives everything. I mean, if you just look at the numbers, that's what being in a band these days is all about. And that, of course, is the business model that we inherited. We didn't think that up. That's just how things are and when we came into music when we started playing you know 2006 the streaming era was already basically upon us and the old school model of actually making money off recordings of being able to capture a recording on a physical format format that was going away and that wasn't going to stop us but you know adapting to that and having some of those revenue streams like from recordings catch up to even a fraction of what they used to be. That's taken a long time. And so in the meantime, to be a band, to be a sustainable band, you have to tour. And I think, you know, what Andy was talking about with regard to our schedule this year, I think it's kind of indicative that we, you know, we finally are at a point where recordings can be a bigger piece of the puzzle. That doesn't necessarily always mean that they're just going to generate more revenue, but, it means that they play into the bigger mission of what we're trying to accomplish. And there are ways that you can then go out and monetize that attention that you're getting those new fans that you're getting. So it's been a crazy time to be a musician. And that, that moment, you know, of the past few years where we've all been able to think more deeply about what we want to do with our time, what we want to accomplish with our art, that really wasn't something, you even had time for in the years prior, just because you're out there touring a lot of shows a year, just because that's what it takes to be a sustainable band. And you see bands sometimes come into the space and especially now that we have a label and they want to potentially get signed, but they have this idea that they want to, you know, get this record out there and get this attention before they go and start touring. And that's not how it works. I mean, we went to, places like philadelphia and new york you know we probably went five six times maybe more until real crowds started showing up because why would they 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 don't know who we are and it's a game now of familiarity and touring consistency that's what the business is is about and it's still about that so you know we're still playing a lot of shows but we are tweaking things we we love to record. We also feel like that's a strength of our band and something that we want to explore more. So still tons of touring, but more recording as well. And and that's also, you know, that's your legacy, I think. Still these days, even though you can go listen to every live band, every show has played, there's something different about an album. An album is designed to bear a lot of repeated listens. You're hearing this very focused moment of artistry from a band from an artist and that's huge for us because that's why we started this band is to play original music you know we all were doing other pretty compelling things and then took a step back to do the string dusters and that has everything to do with the fact that we're all songwriters again we're all producers and so that's what we're gonna you know that's that's what you leave behind as an artist so there's definitely a big focus on that but make no mistake about it. As Andy said, if we're, if we're home, we're we're on a break for touring and I don't see that necessarily changing.
3: You know, what blows my mind. And this, this comes up is like the YouTube musicians, you know, like, you know, we, we have, you know, a, a sort of a model of how we've made it happen, you know, and obviously it involves touring. And it, it what blows my mind seeing these YouTube musicians. I think about albums, like they've, Never made an album. They've never been on tour. They have three hundred thousand YouTube subscribers. Are for sure making probably decent money doing, you know, videos in their bedroom with their guitar. And it's, I mean, that's a whole new way to be a musician that is incredible. And we, I mean, you know, they may never go on tour. I don't even, you know, and I wonder, you know, Panda talks about like your legacy being an album, and I, I agree with that. I still think you know, how, how many people are going to go back and watch somebody's like YouTube videos as like their, ah, oh, I can't wait to like kick back in the backyard and put on this guy's like YouTube <laughs> video, you know, as as opposed to like their album, you know, but it's, it is a fascinating thing to see as we've been in the business for a long time, this, this turning of the wheel of technology and how people make it and how they, um, yeah, how they be musicians and, and, you know, in in some sense, it's kind of cool because it anybody has really the opportunity to be a musician. And, and you know, touring is is hard. I mean, you know, you have there's I mean, travel is crazy, especially since the pandemic bus buses and planes and breakdowns and canceling all the stuff. You know, you can see it's you you got to you know, I feel like almost now there's probably more hurdles for for a new band trying to get touring than there used to be. Um but it's just fascinating for me to see how this era of social media has created a whole new genre of musicians that was didn't exist when we were coming up. Well,
2: one thing you don't really think about with regard to the touring is because, like a lot of these musicians and you know people on TikTok who are definitely making real money and they have a real thing going on, but touring is not just about building your fan base. Of course, that's a very central part of it. But it's about learning how to play a live show because that is not something that you can just go out and do. I think even if you are a seasoned musician, maybe in some of these other capacities, I know for us, those years of experience when not many people were showing up, that was us really preparing for the moment when people do show up. And you don't necessarily think about that when it's going down because you're just psyched. You're living the dream. You're out there with your buddies playing music, doing the thing, but it's a whole other 10,000 hours thing. There's learning how to play music. And then there's learning how to play music in front of people. And there are a lot of different analogies, like in the sports world, you know, they say there are uh, many people who can shoot a low score in golf, but can they do it in front of the cameras, that kind of thing, you know, and, and it's, it's so true. I know, you know what what Andy was referencing about when we show up to a show now there is a confidence and that has come from experience and repetitions and it's probably something that you'll be will be honing i know i'm working harder on that now than i have ever before and channeling all the things that i've learned into being the most present compelling artist that i can on stage but you know that there's no substitute for that and just getting out there and doing it. That's when you learn how to do what you do. That's when you see what parts of your music the audience relates to. You get so much good feedback on what's working and what's compelling. And then that in turn informs where you take your sound and the writing and everything, you know? So it's it's an amazing lifelong learning experience. In addition, you know, we're talking about it in a business capacity, but you know, It's so thrilling to be on stage, too, as an artist and and have one of those moments where things just come to life and you're like, well, the crowd is doing their thing. And it's this, you know, it's this positive feedback cycle like that really is a thrill and something that we'd love to experience, but it's not without a ton, a ton of hard work and commitment and then a long, slow arc of just learning what that's all about.
3: Yeah. And and I think about like, you know, if you if you're just playing in your bedroom, this is not a criticism. It's just I just think about these things. What are you writing about? You know, like, I mean, you know, if you're out there in a van breaking down with your buddies, you know, in a windstorm and then you make it to the gig and you meet the promoter and, you know, it's an amazing show or it's a bad show or whatever. All these life experiences you get from being interacting with the world and traveling around Feed are the food that you can use to be an artist and to have things to write about all these experiences. And <laughs> and I feel like in some ways, some of that, you know, I could probably sound like an old guy here right now, but it, <laughs> you, you're missing that. I think if you just have never been if you've never gotten out to do it all, you know, I you know, just I can't. You know, and I'm a hippie. I I believe in like there's like energetic things that happen when you're out in the world, interacting with people. You're seeing their body language. You're you're smelling their pheromones. I don't you know whatever it is. I mean, it's like these things impact you, and your you your senses absorb them, and then you 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 absorb all of that, and then you have something to create with. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it. You know, I'm I'm glad we came up when we did.
0: You know, so so to speak. <laughs> Well, gentlemen, uh, we're going to end our time together with a song. What are we going to hear? We are going to hear "Down the Road." Down the Road is uh, our
3: latest single off of the uh, Flat and Scruggs uh, tribute release that's uh, coming out uh, here real soon. And um, yeah, this is one that I I sing. Love this tune. It's got a great groove. Uh, we we jam it out at the end and. and tr- kind of true string dusters fashion and we we head on down the road.
0: Guys, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to uh, meet you. I know our uh, listeners have enjoyed it as well. Uh, I look forward to um, seeing you sometime. Uh, one of your tours, a festival and best wishes and travel safe.
3: Thanks, man.
1: Thanks, Mark. Down the road, down the road Got a little pretty gal down the road I go to see my parents
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of The Music Trails. And special thanks to our guests, Andy Hall and Chris Panda-Pendolfi of the infamous String Dusters. You can check out all things String Dusters related at their website, www.thestringdusters.com. On social media, they use the handle String Dusters on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and The String Dusters on Facebook. Panda's own podcast, which is mentioned in this episode, is Inside the Musician's Brain and can be found on all major podcast platforms. If you liked what you heard, drop me a line. I'd love to hear from you. Subscribe today for future episodes and be sure to share with a friend.